Welcome again to Buddha at the Gas Pump, the uh, show where we talk about spiritual awakenings with people who have actually had them. Um, as I sometimes do, I'd like to make a little commentary before I introduce my guest more thoroughly, my guest being Sue Berkey, and my, my name again is Rick Archer. Uh, my, my thought for this week is, uh, was uh, triggered by an encounter I had with a friend in the local grocery store. She uh, said to me, how's your show going where you interview people who think they're enlightened? Which was, is her implicit way of saying that my guests are self-deluded. And uh, I said, oh, you know, it's going well and all that. And, you know, after sort of a few more mildly disparaging comments, she asked if I would like to borrow some DVDs of some interviews that a friend of ours did with enlightened people in India. And... That struck me as ironic later on when I thought about it, because I think there's, an, there's a sort of an underlying assumption in our culture, our Western culture, that the enlightenment is an Eastern thing, an Indian thing. And I would like to suggest that it is no more Eastern or Indian than gravity is English, or radiation is French, or uh, general relativity theory is German, or whatever nationality Einstein was. Um, that it's a universal thing, which is simply a matter of experiencing our essential nature, which is consciousness, and that consciousness is not exclusive to any particular culture or locale, and then in fact it's not even a human thing. I mean, in this vast universe there must be all sorts of life forms or, or beings who are experience, having that very same experience in their own way. So if a person, you know, wants to adopt an Indian name or wear Indian clothes or something like that, that's fine, it's fun, but it has nothing to do with enlightenment or awakening, and there's, even though the Indian culture is perhaps more explicit about enlightenment, has it more in their literature, and perhaps can show more examples of it, it's not an Indian thing, uh, and people in the West are just as capable of experiencing it as people in the East. So that's my little commentary for tonight. Um, so again, my, my guest tonight is Sue Berkey, who, is, um, who has been living in Fairfield for many years. And I'd like to start by just having you introduce yourself, Sue, and you know, what you do and you know, what your interests are, just relative mm. sorts of things. You're an artist, I know. Should I talk to you or the camera? Whatever's comfortable. You go back and forth. We're just having a conversation, and okay. I, I was just doing a monologue, so I was looking at the camera, but okay. mostly we'll be talking to each other. Okay. <laughs> well, I've lived in Fairfield for... I don't know if it's 26 or 27 years now, mm -hmm. quite happily. Mm -hmm. I have found that I actually don't prefer to travel away, that I'm completely content here, and in fact I find traveling to be way less comfortable than just putzing around my, <laughs> my glorious life here. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so um, I teach yoga, Hatha mm -hmm. yoga, I have for 15 years. I think I was Fairfield's first full-time yoga teacher. Mm. There were a couple before me, but they weren't full-time teachers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also an artist, and I um, am a rebirther, single mother, mm. and a renovator, house renovator. Let me uh, ask you about a couple of those things. I, first of all, in terms of your being an artist, um, those of you who live in Fairfield and who are watching this may have uh, seeing those stars made out of hay bales up on the trail north of the reservoir, Sue, Sue made those. Mm -hmm. and in fact, if you do a Google search for Sue Berkey hay bale stars, you'll, <laughs> you'll find them quite easily online. You can take a look. Mm -hmm. um, so what other kinds of art do you do? Um, I have an MFA in filmmaking and sculpture. Mm -hmm. So I've made quite a few films, mm -hmm. sculpture, a little bit of painting and drawing. Okay. I think sculpture is my first love. And what is a rebirther? I should know that, but I actually don't. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. rebirthing is a pranayama. Which is a breathing exercise. A breathing exercise, mm -hmm. very specific one, mm -hmm. that is considered to be the key of the Akashic records, the Akashic records being the entire memory storehouse of an individual's life. Hmm. And this pranayama will, it moves away your, the way that you suppress things. Hmm. And so it causes you to feel stuff that you've 
not been willing to feel, mm. and it can be extremely healing. Mm. And it's called rebirthing because often um, people have memories of their own birth huh. and the conclusions that they drew about life mm -hmm. right then, and how those unconscious underlying thoughts have been governing their entire life since that point of time. Huh. So that particular point of birth is, is really critical, huh, in terms of the impressions that you ha gather at that moment and yeah. can kind of set the course of your life? Yeah. They say that the, the earliest impressions are the strongest, mm -hmm. and so you just keep building. You know, the deepest ones come first, the next deepest ones come later, and it mm -hmm. goes like that. So the ones that are the deepest and the most governing, I would say, in a life are very, very early on. But it can mm -hmm. be the moments of conception, mm -hmm. anything that happened in gestation. Past lives? Yeah, mm -hmm. it can be. I was born by cesarean. Did I get off easy? Uh, no, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole chapter written on cesarean births, uh -huh. and, and very often people that were born that way are looking to other people to save them. Ah, interesting. And, and they didn't do pattern. it their own way. That's right. Yeah. And so that's a very, very frequent repeating pattern in cesarean mm. births. But not, not absolute. Right. Nothing's absolute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Except the absolute. <laughs> huh. Well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, during the course of our conversation, if you want to refer back to that at some point, you know, if, if it pertains okay. to something we're talking about, feel free. Okay. Anything more you were saying about that right now? No, it's, it's quite vast, actually. Yeah. I like the whole idea of feeling things more deeply. I, mm -hmm. I'm kind of finding that myself just in my, medita my regular meditation these days, mm -hmm. that it, it often seems to be all about feeling stuff, sometimes uncomfortable stuff, mm -hmm. and then ha finding that over the course of the hour or whatever, it gets neutralized or purged, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I feel all kind of free and mm -hmm. clear at the end of each mm -hmm. one. <laughs> it didn't used to be that way, but it's mm -hmm. more so now. Mm -hmm. Sue and I first talked about the possibility of doing this interview a couple of months ago when we ran into each other at a local coffee shop, mm -hmm. and uh, I mentioned to a mutual friend of ours, or, or actually my, our, our mutual friend already knew I was doing this show, so we were talking about it, and Sue said, well, you could interview me, and I said, okay. Obviously, the implication was there that you've had some sort of spiritual awakening and were amenable to being interviewed. So perhaps we could start by just having you describe the nature of your spiritual awakening, whatever in whatever terms are most meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Well, as I told you over the phone the other night, um, I forget if I was reading a book or if I was listening to Adi Da speak on a videotape, but it's irrelevant because his point was he was talking about when he got enlightened and he said that he was walking to the grocery store and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I woke up like I never have before and I just, I got it. I mm -hmm. completely got it. And I thought, oh my God, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely that simple. And all I have to do is be okay with that. Mm -hmm. But then it's more than that too, and I realize that living as the master and creator of my own experiences, mm -hmm. from moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, forever, is, is that. Mm -hmm. That I'm never a victim of anybody else's words or any other circumstance in my life, mm -hmm. and that I can absolutely choose how I want to experience anything. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Well, let's unpack some of that a little bit. Okay. So, uh, now the average person who, well, the, the average person is probably not listening to this show, <laughs> but uh, many people, ma yeah, <laughs> many people are. might listen to that statement of I was walking to the grocery store mm -hmm. and nothing happened mm -hmm. and think, well, what the heck is that supposed to mean? Mm -hmm. Because obviously he was walking to the grocery store, so mm -hmm. that was happening. Mm -hmm. But in some sense, he's saying that nothing was happening, despite the fact that he was walking and cars were probably going by and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So in terms of your experience, how would you uh, explain that paradox? Yeah, that there's, there's no judgments in me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like I feel like I live in a super fluid world mm -hmm. where people do what they do 
and they do everything. I think I've been witnessed. I don't. I've never seen a murder, but I've seen so much mm. of all different kinds of human behavior, and I don't judge it anymore. Mm. I feel like nothing is going to stick to me or change me or bring me down or even bring me up. You know, mm -hmm. I'm the one. Do you vote? I do vote. <laughs> Whoa, here we go. <laughs> um, okay. I can relate to what you're saying, you know, but mm -hmm. I find myself still getting a little steamed up about, you know, about certain political points mm -hmm. or environmental points. I have this mm -hmm. really good friend who's been my friend for decades, and he's, he's kind of off on this on, on the conservative end of the spectrum, and mm -hmm. I tend to be on the liberal end of the, mm -hmm. of the spectrum, and we have these discussions back and forth. And I, I love the guy, but if you get me going on Rush Limbaugh or something like that, I definitely feel like I'm being somewhat judgmental. I mean, I have opinions. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I can see how that is also a valid perspective in the grander scheme of things. You know, it takes all types to make a world. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? I mean, do you still... If somebody flips you off, flips you the bird in traffic, you know, cause do you, flip them right do you feel any kind of <laughs> visceral reaction or do you think, oh, that's fine, you know? Oh, I think it, it could be any response whatsoever, but it doesn't stick to me. doesn't stick. I let myself have the entire range of feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of being a real human being. Mm. So if I feel like I'm mad at them, then I mm -hmm. just have a little madness, but I don't like get all serious about it. The sense in which you don't judge, then, would be that you don't hold a grudge. You don't dwell on judgments. Exactly. I mean, obviously, you like this kind of ice cream more than that kind of ice cream. There, mm -hmm. You have opinions about things mm -hmm. and, and preferences, mm -hmm. but it's not obsessive. It's, it's not an attachment. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, although I'm very in, interested in human liberation. Mm -hmm. In the spiritual and, sense, mm, the political no, sense, economic sense, economic sense. and okay. an emotional sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a rebirther, part of what I've devoted my life to is helping people liberate their feelings, mm. which I think our culture specializes in stuffing. <laughs> economic liberation is really tricky because even though I live in a capitalist system, I'm not a capitalist. I don't have any employees that I pay less than I make. I'm not a for-profit organization. But I also see that because there are systems in our culture, like our healthcare system, no matter how enlightened a person wants to be, if you don't have the money to get your teeth fixed by the dentist, then what are you going to do? I mean, you can... It's tricky balance between mm -hmm. spiritual freedom and then economic realities. And it's a tricky balance also between spiritual freedom or enlightenment or awakening or whatever we want to call it and all the various political or economic theories that one might ascribe to. You know, like my friend, my conservative friend, mm -hmm. he's been meditating for 40 years. He has tremendous, mm -hmm. beautiful spiritual experiences, mm -hmm. maybe on the verge of awakening if he's not already. He's Kind of a hardline conservative. The guy I interviewed last week here, Stephen Wynn, runs a fairly big company with a lot of employees that he mm -hmm. pays less than himself. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem to contradict his spiritual state. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just kind of getting on this just so as not to allow you to suggest perhaps that a particular political attitude or economic philosophy is correlated with level of spiritual development. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't say that, would you? Mm -mm. No, didn't think mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I had this conversation the other day with somebody, you know, the classic thing of, well, if you're sitting in prison but you feel enlightened, are you completely free? And I think not. I would say yes and no, you know, <laughs> because I think a person could be in prison. In fact, I can think of two books written by guys mm -hmm. who, who achieved spiritual mm -hmm. awakening in prison mm -hmm. uh, who are probably a lot more free in the more meaningful sense than mm -hmm. people who are out hiking in the mountains or mm -hmm. something or doing you know, mm -hmm. the usual things we do. Mm -hmm. But obviously, 200% of life, it's nice to be free on both levels. That's right. If you, you wouldn't choose to be in prison necessarily. Right. <laughs> You know, there is the whole philosophy that anyone who's in there has chosen to be in there. Yeah. I don't know that I believe that one anymore, I can tell you that. Mm. 
that's another huge, you know, new age point yeah. that I think needs to be flushed out more by people. So that was that gets back to one of the things you said earlier that you feel like you're the master of your own destiny, that whatever happens mm -hmm. to you is of your choosing. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that even if you got some kind of serious disease or something, mm -hmm. that that would have been of your choosing? Or? Yeah, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know that. I've been close to several people who have gotten cancer and died, right? and they didn't think they were choosing it. I don't know that we could ever know that. Hmm. How could we know? I don't know. How do we know for sure know. <laughs> whether someone has manifested that, albeit unconsciously? I read these interesting books by a guy named Michael Newton. You may have read them, Journey mm -hmm. of Souls and Destiny of mm -hmm. Souls. His whole thing was hypnotizing people to go back to the period between lives, as opposed to you know earlier in this life or something, or, or, or even past lives, to go between lives. And he's found this tremendous correlation between what everybody says, and he's hypnotized hundreds and if not thousands of people, mm -hmm. and they, they've mapped it out quite in concordance with one another as to what we go through during that period. And one of the points he made was that, you know, we do choose, we sort of sign up for traumatic circumstances that might befall us in life, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. he gave the story of a, a young girl who fell out of a carriage when she was young and the wheels ran over her legs and she was crippled for life. Mm -hmm. But she remembered when she was hypnotized, mm -hmm. not the same girl, someone in, in, in uh, th this girl who had then been reborn into another life. She remembered that she had signed up for that mm -hmm. because it taught her certain lessons mm -hmm. that she needed mm -hmm. to learn and so on. Yeah. It all seems a little bit philosophical, but um, who knows, maybe it works that way. Yeah. I've had a couple of really clear past life memories, mm -hmm. really clear, almost unmistakable, where I got really deep insights into, into some of the circumstances of my life right now and how they're serving me. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Can you give some specifics? Uh, I think I'd rather not right okay. now, but real clear. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Mm -hmm. If a person feels as you do that you're the master of your destiny and so on, then you'd be more on the free will side of that argument than the determinism mm -hmm, side. Mm -hmm. It kind of implies that the universe isn't mechanistic or cold and, and mm -hmm. uncaring, that, that mm -hmm. there's a sort of intelligence governing everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know how caring hmm, good point. it is. Things happen and then I think we're free to interpret it any way that we want to. Yeah. And so I actually feel like no matter what... Don't pull your mic off. Whatever, whatever um, happens, mm -hmm. I can't lose. I know that. Can't lose. Anything. Mm -hmm. Anything. Is, would another way of saying that be that whatever happens to you, whether you live to be 100 or die tomorrow or mm -hmm. stay healthy or get sick or whatever, mm -hmm. it's that you're, there's a certain kind of evolutionary direction to your existence and that what all these events, however they might unfold, are in mm -hmm. service of that? Yeah. Well, I already feel complete wholeness. Uh -huh. And nothing could take it away. Huh. Nothing could take even a chunk of it away. Describe that complete wholeness, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Deep contentment. I like myself. Mm -hmm. Nobody can ever take it away, and I don't mm. think it will ever get significantly challenged. Mm. I just feel it's stabilized. Permanently. How long have you felt that way? Years. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And it never fluctuates or gets perturbed. Maybe, maybe a tiny little bit. Just little just ripples. Tiny. Yeah. Then I come right back to feeling absolutely okay. Mm hmm. When's the last time you remember feeling scared? Ooh, boy. Frightened. Quite a while ago. Mm hmm. This might seem like a strange question, but I sometimes play mind games with myself about you know this very point and. Mm -hmm. and because I tend to feel that way also, but maybe I'm perturbed a little bit more than you are. <laughs> but uh, I wonder, all right, well, you know, what if I went through Christ, what Christ had to go through? Or what if, what if somebody dangled me from the Golden Gate Bridge by my ankles or something? How would I react to an extreme mm -hmm. circumstance like that? Would, mm -hmm. I, would I lose it? Or, you know, would, this, mm -hmm. would I still maintain some of this wholeness? Mm -hmm. It's like we lead cushy lives sort of so far, you know? Oh, I don't. Don't you? Oh, no. Oh, okay. You do? Cushy enough. I mean, by comparison with a lot of people in the world, I consider myself very fortunate. Mm. And uh, if I won the lottery, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right, in, you know, in terms of my employment and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But 
nonetheless, I feel very grateful for my yeah. life and, and the circumstances of it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I also learned from Adi Don, I don't know why I'm quoting him so much, except that some of his points are so perfect. Mm -hmm. He said that you cannot surround yourself with comforts mm -hmm. and expect it to work. And expect it to make you happy, I mean? Yeah, to, to work for you, to yeah. empower you and make you feel fulfilled or anything. Right. The, so, the Johnson & Johnson heiress just died and had, was living a very un, unhappy life for, for a long time. They've been talking all about it on the news and, and look mm -hmm. what Tiger Woods has been going through. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> so it's like, I get that. Yeah. And in my teaching of yoga, mm -hmm. the whole point of my classes and the style that I teach is to bring somebody right up to that place where they feel like they're dangling by their ankles from the Golden Gate Bridge. How does yoga do that? Certain poses that you hold. Really? longer than you think you can uh, and you get to find out and take a look at the part of you that wants to quit, uh -huh. that wants to make the teacher wrong, that wants to blame somebody else, that wants to just get pissed off. Or uh -huh. So I've made an absolute spiritual practice mm -hmm. out of taking myself out of my comfort zone. Interesting. And what other ways have you done that? Mm, rebirthing definitely does that. Doing you, your own rebirthing. Yep. Yeah. And you have to feel what you don't really want to feel. Right. And I have walked into those fires so many times mm -hmm. that I am not afraid anymore to feel anything. That's great. And look at anything. And I know how to relax yeah. in the face of it all. Huh. All of it. <laughs> it occurs to me that this walking into those fires has, mm -hmm. th th this sort of invincibility has in the outcome of your having done that, Absolutely. you know, having walked, because I mean, obviously, if we're stuffing a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. then we're quite vulnerable because yeah. any, anything can upset the apple cart. You yes, know? exactly. And if we kind of work through all that stuff, mm -hmm. what is there to be afraid of? Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's like I've watched hundreds of rebirthing clients face the deepest fears and the the biggest ghoulies you could imagine, mm. and I've witnessed it. And so I've done it inside myself. I've watched hundreds, hundreds of people mm -hmm. experience the darkest, grossest, most messy. Really? And just breathing exercises brought um, that up? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think you'll probably get some more rewarding <laughs> clients here as a result of this. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, incidentally, as, as I, you know, I just keep asking questions as they occur to me, but if anything comes to your mind that you'd like to say that is not pertinent to some question I happen to be mm -hmm. asking, just come out with it and we'll okay. do We'll proceed. But it just occurred to me to ask that you had that sort of turning point when you were watching the Adi Da tape and, or reading the book, mm -hmm. and he, he said about walking to the store and nothing mm -hmm. happened, mm -hmm. and that was a big watershed moment for mm -hmm. you. Before that, what had your spiritual yeah. practice been? <laughs> TM or? Very little TM huh? in my life. Hatha Yoga definitely has taken more time. I consider rebirthing a spiritual practice. You had already been doing that. But, oh, yeah, yeah, for a long time. Uh -huh. And now that I look back on my life, I consider cheerleading to have been a spiritual practice. Mm. I consider absolutely being a single mother was probably mm. heads and tails the most spiritual practice ever, ever. Very challenging. Oh, my God. <laughs> challenging, but absolutely exquisite. Yeah. How old is your... He's 21. 21. Now, that's mm -hmm. Luke, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Luke. Single, that one kid? One kid. Mm -hmm. And um, when did it first dawn on you that, you know, what you were doing in life with whatever you were doing was actually a spiritual thing, that, that, that you had a spiritual goal or... As a child. Did it? Mm -hmm. I, I was very, very consciously spiritually focused as a child. I remember being like um, six years old. Mm -hmm. And I told my parents that I wanted to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> Far cry from me. <laughs> my mother had to drag me kicking and screaming every Sunday. <laughs> and I, I remember that. And I remember even on our family vacations, mm -hmm. I wanted perfect attendance in my Sunday school class. And so I said, on our vacations, I'm only going with you if we can go to church wow. while we're in Florida. <laughs> yeah. oh. And I remember that it was actually the highlight of our vacation, huh. going to one church. Interesting. Because I have this, not just a theory, but I've, I've observed a lot of my friends and other people going on vacation. Mm -hmm. It's not usually what it's cranked up to be. Yeah. But I remember going to church that one Sunday 
and how happy my family got hmm. and how friendly the people were in that church. And I'm not like saying I'm a Christian or a churchgoer now because right. I'm not, but Watch your mic. But I just remember um, how happy my family was that hmm. day. So you were how old then? Six. Six. And then you proceeded along and mm. da -da -da, you became a cheerleader. And <laughs> That was as close to, I realized this too, that was as close to yoga as I could get uh, back in the 60s and, yeah. you know, so that was as much yoga as I could get. Mm -hmm. And then what was your first sort of explicitly spiritual practice that you discovered? Mm, Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga. First year in college, there was a free yoga class mm -hmm. and I loved it. Mm. I would never missed it. That's great. Mm -hmm. So you did that. Where was this? That was at um, Kent State University. Oh, brother. Were you there during the whole... No, I came the year after. Uh, yeah. So we're talking early 70s, and mm -hmm. you went along, and, and then you learned TM at some point? Uh, yeah, I learned Did you learn that at Kent State? No, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia? Mm -hmm. I taught there for a while. Mm -hmm. So your experience with TM wasn't particularly remarkable, or you enjoyed it? Occasionally it was a, a bit remarkable. Mm-hmm. But I knew pretty quickly, actually, that it, I didn't feel as joyful mm -hmm. and as liberated during and after it as I did with Hatha Yoga. Hmm. And I feel really lucky that I was never one of those people that had to go through all this guilt and this huge withdrawal practice, you know, where they think, you know, people think that something's wrong with them if that's not their path. And I never, I never went through that. I just yeah. allowed myself to do what I, I trusted myself. What was working for me was Hatha Yoga and yeah. rebirthing. That's good. You're probably the first person I, I've interviewed out of the six or seven I've done that haven't had a predominantly TM mm -hmm, background. Mm -hmm. uh, although several of the people I've interviewed, you know, recently have kind of branched off into other things. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad because just as I was saying in the beginning that. Mm -hmm. Enlightenment isn't an Indian thing. It's it's also not a TM thing specifically. It's I mean, it's not a yoga thing. It's not a yoga thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. there are many different ways up the mountain, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people in every spiritual group have a tendency to think that theirs is the best and perhaps even the only way, yeah. and, and so on. And uh, what I hope one thing this show will do is dispel that notion. Yeah, help to dispel. I, it. I want to say right now that um, what I do, I know, is just one possibility. Mm -hmm. And I think the TM movement is wonderful for people who it works for. Mm -hmm. I have complete respect for that. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still meditate. I've been meditating for since 1968, mm -hmm. and uh, it works for me. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not actually in the TM movement anymore. But yeah. <laughs> but I, I always like to say, I don't care what you're doing, show me your love. That's a good one. I don't care how you're getting there. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you read. Show me your love. My wife often says something like that. She says that... In, in her opinion, the, the, the acid test of spiritual mm. development is, you know, how compassionate you are, what you're oh. doing for people, mm. you know, things like that. Mm. So that's good. I think Christ probably said things similar to that, I'm didn't sure. he? There's quotes from the Bible that are like rattling around in the back of my head. Mm. This point moved you a lot. You're mm. kind of coming to tears. Why is it that mm. this point moves you so much? Because. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good enough answer. I used to have a list of questions that people had mailed in, but I got kind of tired of asking them every week. But a question that somebody sent in just this past week, mm -hmm. and I, she said, ask your next guest this question, will you? Okay. I think I know how you're going to answer it. Would you like a Kleenex? <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Brian will bring one. I don't one. really need one. Um, <laughs> she lives in Australia, and uh, we'll be sending her discs of this uh, show because she lives so far out in the boondocks that she can't even watch YouTube, you know, because she doesn't have a good enough internet connection. A friend of hers was just diagnosed with brain cancer uh -huh. and, will, you know, may not live too long. And she said, will you please ask your next guest about death? Mm. You know, what, whatever they might have to say about death, mm -hmm. particularly perhaps the sort of thing that might be reassuring to somebody who's facing it. I would just say to somebody who's dying, I would say, Forgive everybody you can. Clean up any unfinished communication with anyone. Erase your chalkboard before mm -hmm. you check out. Express as much gratitude as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And let go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take off. <laughs> yeah. 
you're a spiritual teacher in a sense. I mean, you're a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. you're a rebirthing teacher. Mm-hmm. Have you ever um, counseled people or been with people in the process of dying? Uh, yeah. And how have you been able to kind of facilitate their transition? Mm-hmm. Well, it just depels what they're stuck on. So you're help, you kind of help them get unstuck yeah. from certain things and yeah. makes mm-hmm. it easier for mm-hmm. them. Usually I think most people postpone forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing to clean up. Yeah. A number of friends have said to me that when some mother or loved one was mm-hmm. was dying their their personality changed a lot in the last couple mm-hmm. the, past, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they just started to glow, you know. Yeah, and off a love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if that's kind of a a natural process that as you get closer yeah. to death you start to get less bound by the things that gripped you mm-hmm. in life and and you begin to see the bigger pictures naturally I'm sure it forces the issue yeah, like you come yeah. way out of your comfort zone huh. way out of your comfort zone <laughs> right and yeah. then you know that's why if they could have had any kind of a practice before they came to that mm-hmm. it had put them at this at a similar kind of edge Mm-hmm. But death wasn't imminent. Then they could have opened their heart way before that, mm. and their entire life, the quality of their whole life experience, would have been just up leveled so much more. Yeah, and you're alluding to rebirthing, perhaps, or, or yeah, any practice anything, which does that. Anything. Yeah. yeah, it would bring somebody out of their comfort zone now because people get so locked up and so small. Mm-hmm. so fearful and uh. it's interesting i mean christ you know referred to gaining your life by losing it mm. um no no exact quote but mm-hmm. it's like in a sense that's i think what you're referring to yeah. that you know you lose all the things that define your life in a rigid sense by no longer being kind of obsessed or attached by them and yet in doing that you you find your life i mean you, mm-hmm. you know things which defined your life were not it actually and right. and when those kind of lose their their grip then you mm-hmm. kind of wake up to mm-hmm. something much more valuable mm-hmm. kind of the jack and the beanstalk principle or something mm. <laughs> i think most people are are waiting waiting why are they waiting Mm, they have their own reasons but i think most people are waiting until something something whatever their something is mm. would happen in order for them to feel like fantastic or feel really like themselves or mm. really safe or really capable of giving what they really always wanted to give uh-huh. i believe that probably most people die feeling ungiven feeling like they haven't fulfilled their purpose even yeah and they haven't given all that they could have given mm-hmm. well it's interesting i mean cuz most people are probably if you ask them what they're waiting for they're waiting for a better job they're waiting for a better partner better house better house money, better car blah, blah, blah. but better this better that yeah. what you said towards the beginning of the interview is that you felt complete irrespective of any of those things it's not quite how you content? put it but content yeah content. <laughs> another great teacher i've spent quite a bit of time with his pandaji and mm-hmm. he says to people that's sri sri ravishankar yeah. yeah he says you know out to his groups he'll say well if you think you're going to be happier if you get a divorce mm-hmm. or if you think you're going to be happier if you get married or if you mm-hmm. think you're going to be happier when you get that house you want to buy he said you're wrong you're wrong you're sometimes be- people are Well, you know, they get into the right internal. marriage or out of the wrong marriage or Well, it's an internal thing. It is ultimately. It's an in, and that's what he's talking about is yeah. ultimate sense. Like if you can't be happy right now mm-hmm. or liberate yourself from something that you perceive is binding you, do it without damaging any other person or yourself, then you're wrong because it's not going to happen if you change your circumstances. And it's not. Well, you also said earlier that, you know, you don't feel any great need to travel and get out mm-hmm. of town you know and mm-hmm. a lot of people get a little stir crazy here in fairfield mm-hmm. this little town not much mm-hmm. happening and so on they feel mm-hmm. like got to get out of here or another thing that happens is winter comes on and and people start getting depressed oh god another iowa winter <laughs> we're having a, a, wo- a doozy of an iowa winter right now uh-huh. i'm sure you would say that you know your contentment is independent of those Weather. F- those variations you mm-hmm. know You could That's why I don't need to travel. You could probably live in Siberia or, you know, Ecuador way. or <laughs> I do feel that way. Yeah. That's good. You know, it's a simple point, but I think it's often overlooked 
that if your fulfillment is dependent upon the weather, you're in big trouble. You know? <laughs> and most people are. Yeah. Or if it's dependent on living near mountains. Right. Or living near the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's like, ooh. Or having hurting. X amount of money mm. or, or being married to such and such. Or, That's you know, right. Those things mm. are always going to change. That's right. And uh, the thing that I think we're talking about here doesn't change. I wonder, I, I try to put myself in the, in the mind of you know, viewers and kind of uh, bring up, since we're not equipped at this point to take questions live, which mm -hmm. I hope someday we will be, mm -hmm. the thought occurs to me that someone might ask, aren't you just maybe very well adjusted psychologically or something? Or maybe you just don't have the same intensity of aspiration that, that some people might have. You know, you're content with very little. Mm -hmm. uh, but I happen to be speaking as a typical viewer. I, mm -hmm. I you know, I, I have a lot of ambition. You know, mm -hmm. I, I really want to achieve such and such, mm -hmm. or you know, do such and such. And so, mm -hmm. what you're saying doesn't quite work for me. I wouldn't mm -hmm. wouldn't want to be contented. It, it almost seems like it has deprived you of motivation. Mm. Oh, are you kidding? Thing. I'm probably the most ambitious person I know. Talk about that a little bit, because oh I, I wanted to spell that impression if it has arisen in anyone's Ooh, mind. No one believed that. <laughs> no, I feel like, in a sense, I feel like my life is just starting. In what sense? Oh, because I have huge goals as an artist, ah. and as a healer, uh -huh. and as a teacher. Talk about them. Well, I want to make more outdoor installation sculptures and mm -hmm. I want to make them in other countries and I want to make mm -hmm. them in cities and with different things absolutely and I just really want to let that just explode uh -huh. in my life I feel like my gift has gotten bigger my capacity to give has gotten so huge mm. and I want to touch more people with my actions and my manifestations so now you mentioned three things you mentioned the art the, the healing and teaching. And healing. Let's mm -hmm. touch on those other two okay. as well. People always ask me to come and teach yoga where they live, mm -hmm. and I would like to do more of that too and let them organize a group of people yeah. to come to and teach. And I always do healing work with people, so I know that I would do that no matter where I go. Mm -hmm. But for some reason right now, the sculpture is just coming up so loud and clear. Huh. Like I just bought this building this summer and I've renovated it and then the biggest room of it is going to be my art studio. And I've got pieces that I've already seen that mm. need to get made. Are you going to be working in metal and stuff? Mm, different kinds of materials. Different materials. Mm -hmm. huh. And I have huge ambition. That's I, think, I think the combination of feeling content mm -hmm. and hugely ambitious is incredibly powerful. Huh. I love it. I'm glad you're saying that. It bears repeating, the, the combination of feeling content and hugely ambitious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a paradoxical combination. Yeah, Ordinarily, people feel like really ambitious people have a kind of a unfulfilled craving mm -hmm. that drives them. Mm -hmm. And really content people are just going to kind of sit around, sit around and chill, you know. No, that's <laughs> not Sit me. on the beach. No. <laughs> <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that you're saying that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a, another friend of mine has this objection to the whole concept of enlightenment or mm -hmm. awakening or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. I do too, in a way. Yeah, I mean, the words are mm -hmm. heavily laden with mm -hmm. connotations, mm -hmm. and I, I hate to use them, but you've got to refer to it as something, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, her objection is that it deprives you of your personality, that it, it's mm. somehow... There's a lot of talk in spiritual literature about killing the ego or destroying the ego mm. or just transcending the ego or having it you know, melt into the, into the universal mm. cosmic awareness or something mm. like that. Some people, my friend included, just take uh, umbrage with that. They feel that you know, the ego is what makes us who we are, makes us unique, distinct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, makes life interesting, mm -hmm. and that if enlightenment means becoming some kind of a uh, an amorphous blob, then you yeah, know, who wants it? Yeah, really. Yeah, no, like I love my personality. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that some people don't, but I really like don't it. Don't like theirs or yours. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like mine, and uh -huh. I don't want to lose my personality, and I don't want other people to lose theirs either. But I also realize that it's just like the surface of my energy, mm -hmm. and it's pretty much irrelevant, but there it is, you know, yeah. I don't think I can get rid of it. Well, do you feel like your personality, how has your personality been influenced by your inner development? 
I don't think it's changed at all. So I feel like I'm a If you went to your high school time. reunion, people oh, would totally. figure you're pretty much the same Oh, way. yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> would you say that perhaps, you know, your inner development has breathed even more life into your personality, made it kind of less constrained, less repressed? Less, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think my, it's liberated my emotional body. Mm -hmm. And that's foundational to a personality, I think. And liberating your emotional body means you've been able to be more loving and compassionate and... And angry. And angry. Or and whatever. Sad. Okay, the whatever emotions. Yeah, the good. entire range of emotions uh -huh. is available to me at any moment. How about the really negative ones? Jealousy, hatred... Oh, sure. I love all of them. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you but love all of them. But again, they're like passing clouds, yeah, right? I mean, they just breeze on through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people will hold grudges for years. I have oh, it's so it's so I have a friend who has a grudge with his next door neighbor, oh. and and it's like for years I've been hearing about how how horrible his next door neighbor is. Oh. Do you find yourself in to be incapable of that kind of? Uh... Absolutely, will never live like that. Right. It's so deadly. It takes so much energy mm. to maintain something like that. Oh God, it's painful. <laughs> so painful. So, as you, is there anybody in Fairfield? that you feel uncomfortable running into because of some past experience you've had with them? Um, occasionally that comes up. Occasionally it does. But I like to call that person and mm -hmm. actually talk to them. Mm -hmm. I like to clean it up as fast as I can, mm. own whatever I can from my part of it, see if we can't like go deeper and then let it go. Yeah. I had a thing with a guy who... I'd done some work for him, and there was some disagreement about it, and he stopped payment on a check, and I got really angry mm -hmm, at him mm -hmm. and uh, yelled at him on the phone. And, mm -hmm. and for several years after that, whenever we saw each other around like town, weird. I was like, mm. I know. And finally one day, I, I was in Walmart, and I saw him a little bit a ways away, and I walked up to him and said, look, you know, we both live in the same town, and yeah. we see each other all the time. Yeah. And I don't know who was right and who was wrong in that circumstance, but let's, mm -hmm. let's put it behind us and be friends. And so we just gave each other this big Ooh. hug. Yeah, see it. And... Uh, and ever since then, it's like, hey, how are you? It's so good to see you, like you know? <laughs> I love stuff like that. Yeah. If everyone did that. If everyone just cleaned it up as they went, we'd be so much freer. Yeah. Why? I mean, I feel, you know, I got freed by that. I mean, it's yeah. like, uh, well, you know, it's not like we hang out together or anything. And just, mm -hmm. but you, you run into it. But I was... I was the one who was experiencing something distasteful. I don't mm -hmm. know what he was experiencing, mm -hmm. but every time I saw him, there was discomfort in mm -hmm. me, and it feels really good to have the opposite emotion come up whenever I see him yeah, now, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Among the re in the rebirthing world, mm -hmm. people talk about who can tell the highest truth the fastest. Hmm. How does that work? Can you give an example? Well, like you and that guy. Yeah. Who, between the two of you, could quickly go to a higher place of love faster. It's mm. like, let's get this, let's go. It took us a few years. Yeah. See, that's a really long time. Yeah. Well, we weren't working at it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but still, you yeah. endured it. Yeah. On some level, that was, in, you endured it, and so mm -hmm. did he. And in the rebirthing world, everyone tries to get over it fast. That's good. Get over it fast. Yeah. Get over it fast. What if the other person isn't holding up their end of the bargain? You can't do anything about it. You can try from your side. Yeah. You do as much as you can from your side, and then if they can't, then you forgive them, mm -hmm. and, and you feel compassionate. Kind of move on. And yeah, you, you go your way because you can't go with them. Yeah. So. There's something, in, I think, uh, Patanjali or Shankara said, I don't remember which, ancient Indian teachers, friendliness toward the virtuous, compassion for the suffering, and indifference toward the wicked. Mm. Like if, if they're going to be persist, mm. persistently wicked or evil in their, or in their behavior, uh -huh. don't hate them, move on. Yeah, <laughs> that makes complete sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful practice. Really beautiful. And so when you teach yoga and rebirthing and stuff like that, do mm -hmm. you actually talk about this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and, and, you Absolutely. Know, and do it? Mm -hmm. Good. So you don't just teaching exercise, oh, postures no. and stuff, you're going oh, no. into all these kinds of things. You ask any of my students. Yeah. I talk a lot during the class. Yeah. And I'm always pontificating at some point or other. Uh, that's great. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. Have any of your students experienced what 
you know, would they be candidates for my show, having gone through your rebirthing or yoga classes, to have people experience yes, some kind actually. of profound awakenings mm-hmm. that seem to be abiding? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can give you a list. To give me some names, please, <laughs> okay. yeah. In contrast with that, I've talked to people around town, and, and, and if anybody's watching this who is not familiar with Fairfield, Iowa, which is where we're located, it's a small town in, in the Midwest, obviously, Iowa, where... Out of a population of ten or eleven thousand, there are probably three or four thousand people who are meditating or doing yoga. Or a lot of them are doing transcendental meditation. There's a university here dedicated mm-hmm. based on that, and so it's a rather unusual place. I don't know if there's any place quite like it where such a high percentage of the population mm-hmm. is kind of dedicated to spiritual practices like this. Among these people, I met a number who have kind of given up on it, who have become disillusioned. Mm-hmm. They meditated maybe for decades, and then they they sort of felt like, well, I'm not getting any place anymore. And mm-hmm. I've some of you even gone back to drinking or drugs or, mm-hmm. or something like that. I think that's kind of sad. One person in particular that I mentioned this show to and that people were having these experiences was kind of startled and, and quite inspired by the possibility that indeed people were kind of realizing the the goal that they had set for themselves when they embarked on this whole thing long ago. And still, as I mentioned with that other example earlier, there's skepticism. I mean, somehow ordinary folks that you run into around town on a daily basis, and if you're not having the experience they're having, it's hard to imagine that they're having it or what they're having, you know. And, And there's a tendency to dismiss people who make any sort of claims yeah. of spiritual awakening as being egotistical or deluded or, or so on. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of rambling on like this just no, because it, it's a theme, you know. It's, a, it's one of the things that motivated me to do this show to kind mm-hmm. of demonstrate that mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are waking up to some marvelous things. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a contagion with it and that the more people who, who do wake up in this way there'll be a kind of a domino effect more and more, mm-hmm. both in, around in our vicinity and in the world. I think the domino effect is happening. There's stuff going on all over the world that mm-hmm. certainly wasn't happening in the 1950s. I think that being enlightened, and I really don't like those words either, but it's a matter of um, self-worthiness, and it's like you have to stop thinking that you aren't that. My guest last week said that his awakening happened one day when he was driving down I-80 through Iowa City. Mm-hmm. He was sort of thinking, like, am I ever going to get enlightened? You know, I've been doing this for so long, whatever. And then he thought, what if I just let go of the thought that yeah, I'm not enlightened? That's right. And as soon as he had that thought, kaboom, yeah. you know, this deep peace descended yeah. upon him yeah. and never left. Yeah. <laughs> so the people that would ever doubt somebody else... Mm-hmm would doubt anybody who says they're enlightened to some extent or other. They would just be going like, looking at Maharishi going, really? They'd be looking at Jesus going, are you sure? Do I believe that? It's inside them. And if they would let their heart just open up and empty out and be clear, Mm -hmm. they would look at somebody and they would see that person's enlightenment rather than how they're not enlightened. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? It's It's all the self. But that reminds me of a point that you made when we first met in that coffee shop. I said something like, I can't really judge whether somebody's awake or not, or mm-hmm. enlightened or not. And you said, sure you can. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I still maintain that, I mean, maybe I, I can sort of judge, you know, talking to you or talking to various people, I, or even determining who I'm going to have on this show. I kind of get a mm-hmm. feeling like, okay, this person will, will be good, and this mm-hmm. person, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I can judge in any sort of definitive way or with any great degree of certainty. It's because it's such a subjective thing. And it's not like there's some kind of mark on a person's forehead that mm-hmm. indicates, at least not to my perception. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? I think if you can't be the judge, mm-hmm. who could? Who would you trust if they said, well, that person is and that person isn't and that person is? Would you trust anyone who said that? I take anything anybody says with a grain of salt, although... I consider some people more qualified than myself in that respect. Mm -hmm. You with your rebirthing. I don't know anything about rebirthing, Mm -hmm. and I would be a lousy rebirther at this point. I could perhaps train and become a good one and (laughs) and really work with people and help them a lot. But it's, you know, there's, I don't have the qualifications at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people like, for instance, Ama, who in my experience is able to really 
zone in on a person and, and determine stuff that I would never pick up on just by mm. in, a brief encounter with them. Mm-hmm. She, in a few seconds, she can kind of like get a very detailed picture and mm-hmm. respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, we're all at different levels of development. And as far as I can tell, there are degrees of clarity and, and various capabilities. And we each have what we have. And we each contribute to the, to the puzzle mm-hmm. with our own little piece. So do you still think that I should be able to you know, assert that I can judge a, a person, uh, somebody, whether somebody else is awake or not? Or do you get Ultimate, my point? Well, I get your point, ultimately, mm-hmm. but I think that you will be able to. No, oh, sure, I could, I could uh, agree to that, you know, I mean, <laughs> I might be able to fly through the air at some point, too, unassisted. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I think people have, you know, Christ probably walked on water. It could be anecdotal, but it probably happened. Uh, they're all these, but anyway, we're getting a little bit off on a tangent here. But, uh, <laughs> actually, you know, this kind of comes back to something I, I sometimes mention on these shows, which is that from my level of understanding, there are, in fact, levels. There are degrees of awakening, and, and many people experience themselves going through stages or having some discovery, and then two weeks later you talk to them, and they've had another one, that, which mm-hmm. they hadn't seen the first mm-hmm. time, and then another one, mm-hmm. you know, the breakthrough after breakthrough, mm-hmm. like that. Has that been your experience, or mm-hmm. do you feel like you've just kind of been in the same place? Yeah, I don't, it doesn't happen in chunks like that for me. More like a rheostat than an on-off switch? I guess so. You know what a rheostat is? Yeah. Where you kind of turn a light up yeah. gradually by yeah. degrees, but do you feel like the light is being turned up? I mean, do you feel... Like it's been up. Can it get any upper? I don't know. <laughs> you must feel like your life is progressing in certain ways, growing. I feel like my life is perfect and it's been perfect for a long time. Yeah, but we've been talking about paradox here, and can't something be perfect and yet get better? I mean, mathematics tells just, us you can have infinity, but you can add something to it. Well, yeah, what I like to say as well, I'll have a different perfect life. Mm-hmm. It'll just be differently perfect. But you wouldn't call it better perfect? mm huh. I don't think it could get better. Uh-huh. I feel like it's as good as it gets. Hmm. It'll just, the characters might change, the setting might change. The activity, specific activity might change, but I feel like I've got, got it. So external things not only might change, but will change, because they always do. Yeah. But and I make them. In my life, I stir my pot a lot. Uh-huh. I've moved more than anybody in Fairfield, and all my friends say, okay, I don't know where you live now. I'm like, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but in terms of internal stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, sure, external is always going to change, but in terms mm-hmm. of your internal perspective on the external, mm-hmm. your perceptual ability, your clarity of awareness, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. does that always stay just as it is, or does it seem to be getting gradually more enhanced? Well, let's see. I think that my experience is that compassion in me always gets deeper and deeper, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Such an incredible thing to feel, compassion. Like, I sometimes just like to sit in it. Just kind of bask. Bask in compassion. Mm-hmm. And it does seem to be getting bigger and less sticky too it's um just like a given and it's not like it's so special and i get to bestow it on somebody it's not that i just feel it a few minutes ago you said you felt sad that some people in this town have kind of lost their spiritual path i would never feel sad Mm -hmm. if somebody stopped doing something and was doing something else because One thing I've really learned is that I absolutely do not know what anybody else should do. That's good. That's always a mistake. Yeah. I don't know if I actually felt sad. I've always been an obnoxious proselytizer, you know, and I've kind of managed to channel it into more constructive directions. It prompted me to, to want to do something about it, to spread the word a little bit, that there is a kind of a vibrant spiritual awakening that's very much underway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether or not a person wants to do anything with that or mm-hmm. whether it changes their attitude or, or dispels mm-hmm. their skepticism, I really don't care. There's been a sort of a, almost a stigma around here of, about claiming to have undergone any sort of awakening. Mm-hmm. And, and a number of people that I want to interview have so far been reluctant to, to do so because mm-hmm. they're afraid of being kind of recognized as special or unusual mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's just a matter of what we're accustomed to, what's common. 
Mm-hmm. And if everyone is much more spiritually awake, then you know you tell somebody that that, that it's happened to you, and they'll say, "Oh, that's nice. What else is new?" Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be a big deal. I certainly don't feel more special. If anything, and absolutely, truly, I feel more ordinary than ever, mm. and it's such a relief. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's so hard to think that you need to be special. It's yeah. oh God, it's such a. Did I use the word? I use the word special, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. I'm learning to be more precise with my terminology because all these words have implications, which you don't. Yeah, ne- they do. Which I don't necessarily mean, you know. Uh-huh. I'm, in fact, I was just trying to make the point that it's not special; it's mm-hmm. it's common. Uh-huh. But yeah, <laughs> like I I've really noticed in my life that the people that seem the most comfortable in themselves, mm-hmm. just in the simplest way, are m- the most compelling people to me. Mm. Like I just. I'm interested in them because that's all to me. That seems like everything. Mm-hmm. When somebody finally just relaxes in their own skin, <laughs> it's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. It is no small thing. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. It's nothing. And yet it's everything. It's so beautiful. I remember a friend of mine telling me years and years ago, I was teaching her teacher training course where she learned to become a TM teacher. Mm-hmm. And this was like 1974. She was telling me this story about when she had first met Marishi a few years earlier. And she said that all of her friends had said, oh man, wait till you see him. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. He's so powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, you know, he comes into the room and it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know? And she said, he came and walked up on stage and she thought, He's just such a simple man. He's so natural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's just this simple, natural man. Mm-hmm. I always remember that story. You know? yeah. yeah. Because he was pretty impressive, actually. But on the other hand, there was a great relaxation yes. mm-hmm. and ease mm-hmm. and, and simplicity about him. I read a biography of Georgia O'Keeffe this summer, mm-hmm. and one of the most pointed things in the whole big book that has stayed with me was one of her closest friends said that her greatest gift was her uh, comfort mm. with herself. I thought, that's, that's nice. beautiful. <laughs> and again, I, I think that probably relates to what you do with rebirthing. It's like, you know, how can you be comfortable with yourself if you've got all these uncomfortable things locked up? Yeah, that you're not feeling. That you're not feeling. They're all kind of mushing around down there mm-hmm. trying to get out, mm-hmm. <laughs> causing trouble. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, stay put, kid. I'm yeah, trying to, I don't want to feel I'm that. I'm trying to do stuff here. Leave me yeah, alone. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you work through that stuff. It must be a great relief. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Maybe you want to try rebirthing. <laughs> I, yeah, sounds interesting. I had a, an experience one time that was the most, the most transformational experience I ever had in any one moment, although there's been a lot of transformation over the years. But it happened during my sleep, actually. I had this really intense dream. In the dream, I was actually, there were other people or beings in the room who were putting me through this purification process in mm-hmm. the dream. And then when I came up out of it, it's, I felt like I was coming from the bottom of the ocean. There was such mm-hmm. a depth that I came mm-hmm. up out of. And I, I woke up with kind of, on the one hand, feeling this kind of infinite, relief like I'd just been released from the tightest Mm. grip that Mm. I could imagine Mm. and my whole body was drenched in sweat because I'd been through such an intense thing this tremendous gratitude kind of poured into me as a result of this and I I just felt kind of um, different very very profoundly different Mm -hmm. for for days afterwards Mm -hmm. but it was perhaps people experience like that kind of stuff with rebirth that's why I brought it up I wasn't rebirthing but it just happened to me that kind of stuff it's so incredible. How long does, well, maybe we shouldn't get into that. I was going to say, I mean, how much breathing stuff do you have to, how do you do that? Do you want to talk about that at all? Is that something? I'd rather not do yeah, that okay. right now because it's yeah, got. It might take us off the track. Yeah, but it is very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm sure there are books about it and things, are, things people can yeah. learn. And all. Google it. One other question that occurred mm-hmm. to me. A lot of people, when they talk about having had a spiritual awakening, they describe that they feel like rather than themselves being in the world anymore, they feel like the world is within them. Mm. That somehow the, their self-concept has expanded to include everything, such that when they look at things, they actually see an aspect of themselves. Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. characterize Absolutely. your experience? Absolutely. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Did it become that way more or less immediately after you had that initial awakening, or did it kind of grow into that, or what? I think it grew into that. Grew into it? Mm-hmm. And again, your growth has been kind of 
incremental as opposed to big jumps. I think so. Mm -hmm. There's a group here in town called Waking Down. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard of it. And they have a term, oozer, to refer to people that kind of ooze into their spiritual <laughs> growth as opposed to kind of big, gushers. big dramatic. <laughs> yeah, gushers. gushers. Is that the other? Did they say gushers? No, I'm just Oh, that's a good one. We should, yeah. I think I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'll use that. Mm -hmm. I've just always been open to many different teachers. And right. I'd probably say I've had six to eight Main, main spiritual main teachers, and they're all from different traditions. Have you had them sequentially or sometimes simultaneously? Simult simultaneously sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because some teachers argue that you should dig one deep well rather than a lot of shallow wells. I've always heard that, and it's just never what happened for me. Yeah. I always gave myself permission to mm -hmm. follow my curiosity. Mm -hmm. It served me well. And I would not say that you're a dilettante. You know, you haven't just been superficially dabbling and this, that, and the other thing. You really seem to have gotten something out yeah. of your thing, mm -hmm. whatever you've done. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up that we haven't mm -hmm. talked about? Is you going to think of something when you get home that you wish you'd, you'd said? Give me a moment here. Yeah. Well, something that keeps running through my mind since you spoke about a half an hour ago when you were talking about the town of 10,000 here and how there's, you know, two or 3,000 people that are doing yoga and meditation. But there's 7,000 other people here, and a lot of them have spiritual paths, too, that are... Mm -hmm. A lot of them are Christian-based, mm -hmm. and some are other-based, too. And I no longer see any difference anymore mm -hmm. between that and what I've done or what mm -hmm. you've done. It's like I said before... I don't care how you're getting there, show me your love. That's a really good point, you know, mm -hmm. because I think that there tends to be a little snobbery sometimes. Oh, it's terrible. From both yeah. from Christians and Jewish people and Muslims and Confucianists and Buddhists and yoga and rebirthers. It's like awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful because nobody has the corner on that market and they never will. And it's nice to drop it, to stop thinking that whatever your group is, is the best. It's not true. Yeah. It's not true. It's a very good point. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it bears repeating often. Yeah, you know? often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why one thing I love about Pandaji is he built a temple in India, mm -hmm. and there's a pillar going around the circle, and every major religion in the world has its own pillar mm -hmm. at his temple. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. Yeah. That's an acknowledgement of everyone's path mm -hmm. and the validity of all of them equally. Ramakrishna did something like that too. I think he, as I recall, I read a book about him. He, he was an Indian saint that lived in the 1800s. He kind of went through the practices and rituals and observances of every major religion and, and mm -hmm. kind of explored each one in depth, you know, and it was very universal and all-embracing. Yeah. Personally, I think that the founder of every religion probably felt as, as you feel and as you're, mm -hmm. as you're speaking here, mm -hmm. but followers tend to garble the founder's message, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a, a kind of a human tendency to want to feel that I'm the best, or my yeah, thing my is the best, or the my best. group is the best, yeah. you know, my team is the best. Yeah. <laughs> we're winning, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because if I'm not, if, if this isn't the best that I'm doing, then why am I doing it? I, yeah. Maybe I should be doing something else, that, and yeah. that's the best. Yeah. But I mean, you can, if you take, step, take a step mm -hmm. back, you realize, all right, different strokes for different folks, mm -hmm. Sly and the Family Stone. Each thing has its own validity. Each thing has its own value. And beauty. And, and beauty mm -hmm. and whatnot. We're all in the same boat. We just happen We're to be in, in different, same boat. different places on the mm -hmm. boat, but the whole boat is moving along. Mm -hmm. It's a very relevant point these days with all this terrorism and, and all this stuff, which mm -hmm. and all this conflict in the Middle East and even here in the, in the U.S., all kinds of strife and divisions that seem to be largely based in my dog's better than your dog kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. That's an old commercial from, you may not remember it. <laughs> Kennel ration. I don't watch TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we've elaborated on that point a little bit more than we need to, but maybe that would be a good point to end on. Sure. Let's go forth with compassion and... <laughs> and um, an open mind. And, and thank you mind. for being so open-minded. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you for coming. I'm glad you decided to do it. Thank you. And give me that list of, of your students. I will, okay. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this week. We will have a flood of uploads to YouTube very soon, I'm told, and uh, hopefully also a flood of these shows being aired on, on FPAC, Fairfield Public Access TV station. 
And at the end of this and every show, there will be some titles which will be on the screen for a while so that you can copy things down if you like with references to a blog, uh, the YouTube channel, a Facebook page, an email address that you can contact me to send in questions and a bunch of other things. I'm trying to use all the social media and build this thing up into something. There's a chat group actually where I, I haven't been able to keep up with it. There are now 500 emails in this folder for this chat group, the Buddha, the Gask Pump chat group where people are talking about all this stuff. So there's all kinds of opportunities to participate in the show. One of these days we'll be able to interview guests remotely using Skype or something and we also may at some point have it become a live show uh, where you can call in questions. But until then, if you do have questions, you'll see an email address on the closing credits that you can send them into and I'll ask them of future guests. So thank you very much for watching and we'll see you next time.